blue line leaves it. Kale McCarr winds, fires, score! Now Rubido, top of the near circle, pass far side, wide open net. What a save made by Philip Grubauer. Just outstanding stuff. I am Grubauer. And Zdorov smash! <laughs> oh my goodness! Yep. What a bone-crushing hit by Nikita Zadorov. And Howard Luck has no idea what day it is, what time zone he's in, and he is slowly making his way towards the bench. Hello and welcome into Hockey Mountain High, your go-to avalanche podcast brought to you by DraftKings Sportsbook, America's top-rated sportsbook app. I am your host, JJ Jerez. Along with me always is Arif Dean. And Arif, it's like Christmas Eve. We had a little taste of hockey to go off of, and now we got a lot of hockey in front of us. How are you feeling today, and how excited are you about NHL hockey right in front of us? Honestly, JJ, I'm I'm pretty damn excited. It, it feels like everything is back to normal, even though it's not. It looks a little bit different on TV. It feels a little different considering the circumstances, but it's working. The players are healthy and hockey is back and that's all that matters right now. Yeah, a bit of sloppy hockey is what we really saw across the board. I mean, obviously, it's frustrating when we're trying to follow the avalanche and it's penalty after penalty after penalty, but it kind of seems like it was that way all around the league. So hopefully they got that one out of them and we get a little bit cleaner, tighter hockey moving forward now that it's going to actually start meaning something. Yeah, for sure. And I mean, I think I kind of mentioned this last time. It's it's a bit of a mindset difference this time around because this isn't a regular off season where you're preparing for a new year everybody was kind of in limbo for four months uh nobody really got to go through their off season routine so as much as we try to say that this is going to be the kind of hockey the exciting hockey we see in october it's really not going to be for many reasons and i think that we've noticed that throughout the exhibition but Throughout the round robin, throughout the playing round, it'll start to ramp up. And then by the time we get to the first round of playoffs, hopefully we'll see the hockey that we remember. And we know how much Jared Bednar loves to work. I mean, it's pretty, probably pretty standard across the league, but he loves to work on the special teams. And in that game uh, against the Wild, he definitely got a lot he of special yep, teams. He looks. got a chance to see what they're all about uh, for the wrong reasons and for the right reasons. So it, it was... Uh, it was the same old avalanche, I guess, from this season where they were taking a lot of penalties, and uh, but they did a good job of killing them off, right? So there's that. Yeah, for the most part, I think they gave one up on a kill and then one up right bef- right after a kill ended. So, you know, it, I think there are gives and takes there with the penalty kill, but, you know, I think staying out of the box is going to be a major thing, and it's kind of back to what we were talking about earlier in this season, way back, I would say, October and November, that... Staying out of the box was a problem for this team. So do you think the refs are going to continue to call these playoffs this way? Do you think it's going to be called as tight as we saw these exhibition round games? Because if so, I think the Avs are, you know, there's there's going to be a hurdle for them to overcome for sure. Yeah, and I don't think they're going to be the only team affected by that. I think it's going to be a bit of an adjustment for a lot of teams. And for that matter, it's going to take some getting used to. I think the biggest thing right now is a lot of teams have to get used to playing playoff hockey after not playing for four months, 
but the referees on the other hand are operating as if everything is normal. So there is going to be a bit of an adjustment and we saw that uh, clearly. Um, I'm not too concerned about it just yet. Obviously the Avalanche don't want to take eight or nine minors every day, but I'd give it about a week before I before I'm a little concerned about the amount of penalties they're taking. Yeah, I thought that was one of the biggest storylines, in my opinion, of that exhibition game is just how few five-on-five minutes we actually saw. But to start us off, I think it was right at the beginning, a minute 25 or so into the game, the Avalanche scored. We saw the uh, strength of the third line kind of in action right away when Jonas Donskoy buried one. Um, You know, obviously, if that line is the one kind of starting the game off scoring, that's a lot of pressure off the top line right there. Yeah, and I mean, this is kind of what we spoke about in terms of the Avalanche's depth is that Donskoy and Nemesnikov have both been on the top lines at some point or another this season, and they've excelled when there. Uh, Donskoy scored a hat trick for the Avalanche earlier in the year. Nemesnikov, when he came on, he was scoring a lot of goals when the Avalanche really had nobody else to turn to. Comfer's the guy that the Avalanche have used in the past in the top six, and he's kind of settled into that role as a third-line center. So suddenly you have this third line with all this offensive power, and if they're the ones scoring the first goal, it doesn't even take pressure off the top line only. It takes pressure off the top six in general because they have somebody there who's able to provide this extra offense, and the game has just begun. So it was nice to see, and it just sort of speaks volumes to the amount of depth this team has, and what the Avalanche should expect. And that line is really transformed by the addition of Nemestikov. I know he was, you know, just a couple games in when the season was paused, so we didn't really get to see a full spectrum of what he has to offer. But I think his addition into that third line takes it from just kind of a ho-hum average third line with what Tyson Jost kind of leading the way uh, instead of Nemestikov with Donskoy and Comfer. And then you add Nemestikov instead of Jost, and suddenly I think it, it just takes it in, into a completely different, more dangerous offensively line. Yeah, and that's the thing. I mean, the Avalanche these last two years, obviously they've been in the playoffs. We've seen McKinnon do his thing. We've seen Rantanen grow into the player he is, and we've seen Landeskog sort of elevate his game to a new level. But at the same time, aside from that top line, Colorado's second line, you know, as much as they didn't want it to be the Soderbergh, Nieto, Calvert, slash Como line, that's what ended up being their second line. But they always kept pushing four guys. They kept pushing, pushing Tyson Jost, JT Comfer, Alexander Kerfoot, and Colin Wilson. Think about that for a moment. Those are the four guys that the Avalanche were pushing to be their second unit. And they kept going back to those three young guys, those roommates, the Kerfoot, Comfort, Jost line. Now you have Jost as a third line, or Comfort as a third line center. Jost, who, to be honest with you, deserves to be playing from how good he's playing, but is the 13th forward because the Avalanche have depth. And Kerfoot, who was traded in the Kadri trade. So they have all this depth now and it's just crazy to see how quickly things turned on a dime Don Skoy coming from San Jose who obviously eliminated the avalanche last year Nemesnikov coming at the deadline and suddenly Comfort slots down to the third line behind a second line centerman who is pretty much your prototypical second line centerman and he has a couple of wingers that are also exceeding expectations so it's just crazy to see how much things have changed and it's gotten to that point now where when that line scores, it's not a surprise. But at the same time, it's just like this 
holy crap, this team is stacked. And oh my God, like if this is the line that's scoring, what are McKinnon and Kadri's lines going to bring to the table? Yeah, and from an opposition standpoint, how are they supposed to match up? Obviously, You can't. You can't stop that. Right, exactly. You're, you're putting all your focus on the top two lines and suddenly you got to worry about this third line who has a lot of offensive weaponry now too. Um, a, a little bit more from that game, let's look at Nazem Kadri. I mean, I think he's kind of a guy that we've been missing you know, he was out for quite some time. We've been anticipating seeing his him get back in the game, and I just love the grit. I mean, obviously, it's that playoff intensity that what we've been talking about the last, what, two, three months of what he adds, especially when paired up with Landeskog, but we got to see it in full effect. I love that little tussle he got into. I know it got him a little bit of a penalty, but that's that fire that this team has been missing. That's that fire this team needs, and as long as he doesn't cross the line like he didn't, I'm perfectly okay with it. I love it. Sure, he gets has to sit for two minutes, loses some ice time, but it lights a spark underneath the team. It provides confidence in knowing that, hey, the guys around me are ready to go to battle with me, and I just I just love it. You know, it was kind of sparking a little bit of controversy on Twitter. Uh, he's dumb. He needs to be careful. You know, even Peter McNabb said, oh, he's got a microscope on him from the league from his past, so he's got to be extra careful and walk on eggshells, but I don't think... I don't think he has to be too careful. As long as he doesn't cross the line, he can still be the regular Kadri we're used to. Exactly, and that's the thing. I mean, Kadri's two suspensions in Toronto are very much well documented at this point. I've spoken about them uh, quite a bit. The NHL knows a lot about them. He ultimately, let's face it, the, the, the Maple Leafs got a good player in Tyson Berry, but Kadri was traded because of that second suspension last year. It was enough is enough. We want to make this relationship work, but you're making it really hard for us to keep you around. And that was the reality of it. You don't just trade a Nazem Kadri, whose long-term contract is signed for only $4.5 million a year. They had to trade him because they were fed up with it. But aside from that, there is a certain game, an element to his game that Kadri brings to the table that he's not going to change. He's not going to not get in a player's face because, oh, they are looking at me in, under a microscope. Yeah, what he did last year with Jake DeBrusque was a little bit overboard. What he did the year before in Game 1 was a little bit overboard. But that doesn't take away from the fact that this is the game he plays. This is why he's here. And this is what the Avalanche have been lacking. Like, it's it's so hard to... to, to like, the Avalanche, let's face it, against against the Sharks last year, it was so hard for them to keep up with the physicality that the Sharks brought to the table. McKinnon's a big guy. We know that. Landeskog, let's face it, Landeskog at this point cannot be the only guy going out there and going toe-to-toe with every player. Calvert's a tough guy. He's a little bit smaller. Kadri's also a little bit smaller, but they provide that extra element of physicality and grit. And for somebody like Kadri, he's coming in and he's playing those 20-21 minutes that a player like Carl Soderberg used to play who never used to throw his body around. So it's going to be very important for him to provide that element for the Avalanche without going overboard. And I think at this point, he knows it. Landeskog knows it. Coach Jared Bednar knows it. Nobody's going to allow him to reach that point because they know about his history and they know that the NHL may be looking at him under a bit of a microscope. But at the same time, this is his game and there is no reason for him to change it. He is this player. He's built for playoff hockey and this is why the Avalanche brought him in. That was so well said. I mean, that's everything I kind of tried to say 
right there. I mean, he, this is a team that's been lacking that not only now, but for years and years and years. I've been saying it for so long. They're missing that fire in the belly, and he brings it. And like you said, this is what's gotten him to where he is, is that playing style. He's not suddenly going to change his mindset. I was just a little bit disappointed to hear the people that were – kind of shaming him for oh well you know he can't be getting into this kind of stuff I say let him get into it that's who he is that's what he does that's what he brings to the table and it's what the avalanche so desperately need just like you summarized yeah and I mean they have a lot of offensive firepower so if Kadri needs to sit in the box for two minutes every once in a while because he's sticking up for his team or trying to change the momentum that's completely okay uh you want to draw the line somewhere before Nathan McKinnon getting into fights with for example, Josh Archibald with that whole Sam Gerrard thing and Zach Ronaldo that happened in Arizona a few years ago. You want to draw the line somewhere before that with your star player. But Kadri's game and the element he brings to this game is very much Claude Lemieux-like. And that's why he's been, he's here and that's why he's going to succeed here. I mean, Kadri's the kind of player that could be a difference maker. You know, I'm not saying he's going to do it this year. Maybe he does, maybe he doesn't. But he's the kind of player who, let's face it, is not one of the stars of the league, but could one day win a Conn Smythe trophy. Similar to what Claude Lemieux did with the Devils in 1995. Similar to someone like Justin Williams with the LA Kings back in 2014. That second slash third line player that makes such a difference because of the element of his game that he's able to provide his team with that spark and ultimately become an MVP of the playoffs. And that's the kind of player he is. He is and... You know, not to take away from his 50 to 60 to 65 point pace, but it's because of the physical element that he brings to the table. Yeah, he's just a well-rounded player. He reminds me of the phrase, jack of all trade, master of none, yep. right? He he's he contributes and brings a little bit of everything to the table. He doesn't do anything spectacularly. Um, so yeah, I just think he's such a great piece, and I'm excited to, once that intensity level, intensity level does get turned up, how he reacts and, and making sure that he keeps himself in check. But I still want to see that fire. I want to see him getting under other teams' skin because you need that in playoff time. It's it, just such a must, and it, that's what they've been Exactly, lying. yeah. And, I mean, the cool thing about Kadri is – not a lot of players are like this, but he was willing to change his game and he was willing to become a more well-rounded player. Uh, we'll start with the very simple thing. We've been talking for years about how bad Nathan McKinnon is at face-offs and why Landis has been taking a bunch of them over the last few years. Well, Kadri wasn't very good at them either and he worked on it, he worked on it, he became good at it. When Mike Babcock was hired in Toronto, Kadri sort of changed his game to becoming a well-rounded shutdown center because they had brought in Austin Matthews, because they had all that offensive firepower from these young guys. Kadri was able to change his game. He started to get Selkie, uh, Selkie nominee votes for being the best defensive center while also scoring 30 goals two years in a row. He was started to play on the penalty kill, which has brought that to the avalanche. He started to win a lot of important faceoffs in the defensive zone. He's brought that to the avalanche. So he's exactly that. He's become a jack of all trades. He's made it so that he's not the best at any one thing, but no matter what you need, he will be there. Do you need him to, to, to center the second power play unit? He's your guy. You want to stuff him on that top line with the with the big three and Makar on the point on the top power play unit, stick him in front of the net? He's your guy. Defensive zone, offensive zone, penalty kill. He does a little bit of everything. He brings the grit. Uh, again, we've been saying this for weeks. He's going to be a difference maker. 
Yeah, and it's not that he's exactly a huge person either. I mean, he's muscular, he's strong, but he's not big. It's about what he's got in his chest, he's right? Got he's got that a fire. huge he's got heart. It. Yep. He's got that passion. And we saw, again, a little bit after the game when they were kind of discussing with him the pregame ceremonies and, you know, him, Jordan Greenway, Matt Dumba, and, and Pierre-Edouard Bellemare standing there. And, you know, he had the nuts to come out and just tell it like it is and tell it exactly how he feels. And he said, yeah, that's sure. That was a great moment, but we need the NHL to do more. We don't feel like they're doing enough. So we got to get into a little bit of that moment. I guess, what do you think? Did you think that it was heartwarming and good? You think that the NHL has to do more where you stand on that pregame ceremony moment between the four players? I think it was a good first step and they definitely need to do more. And there is some news coming out today that, uh, Evander Kane and the Hockey Diversity Alliance and Akeem Alou have been in touch with the NHL and there's some positive uh, feedback coming from those conversations where perhaps the two are going to sort of coincide and you're going to start to see the Hockey Diversity Alliance uh, marketed and part of the NHL's pregame, uh, you don't want to call them ceremonies, but you know part of the pregame uh, routine. You know, pre-game routine, exactly, thank you. Um, but in regards to what they did already or what the NHL has done so far, I don't think it's something to applaud, but I don't think it's something to bash yet. If they don't, because it's very easy to have players of, of uh, the, you know, different colored jerseys uh, playing on different teams, lock arms in a exhibition game in a hub city in an empty crowd somewhere in Canada. That's a very easy thing to do. But if you take it to the next step, if you start to say and mention things like Black Lives Matter, like the NBA has, if you start to bring the Hockey Diversity Alliance into this, if you take it to a level where you're doing this in front of your own fans in your arenas, that says a lot. So this is the first step, and it's a very easy step. But I just want to see if this is going to be one of those things where the NHL does this initial step, feels good about themselves, and the steps back, or if they're going to take a more... Uh, progressive approach to this and sort of build on it uh, by the looks of what we've been hearing not many people are really happy with this we've seen the kneel for uh, or, or I believe it's Neil for hockey is the hashtag has been trending all over Twitter today that with from fans that are upset that the NHL players were not kneeling and they're taking pictures of themselves kneeling and you know I'm not here to advocate for a player to kneel or not but I'm just here to say that my opinion of what we saw during those exhibition games is that it was a good first step. It's nothing to applaud, but I don't think we should be bashing the NHL or these teams yet uh, until we see if or when they make the next step and sort of take a bigger take a bigger action and you know make more progressive moves towards this. Yeah, it kind of felt like the NHL heard the criticism and said whoa 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 guys we haven't even gotten started yet that was just the exhibition we've got more in plans there's more we're gonna do we got these fantastic decals but at the same time i can't help but expect that at the end of the day we're all gonna be a little bit disappointed by what's gone down but from the nhl i mean it's not gonna be anywhere comparable to what you're seeing in the nba and that's gonna be hard for the nhl to even come close to so with the two being side by side, I mean, it's hard not to, but they're yeah. always compared. And considering what the NBA is doing versus what the NHL is ultimately going to do, it's going to not just not even be close. But you got I don't know. I, I kind of salute them for, for giving an effort in a sport where otherwise it's it's really tough to do. And they're, they're trying. They're trying to figure it out. And maybe this will be a test run. And they realize, hey, 
we messed up a little bit here and there. We could do some things better. We're going to make sure to do them better forward. But that's kind of the, the whole point right now, right, is being better through just kind of learning and making it happen. So you, you don't you don't learn until you start, and I, I think it's at least a good start from the NHL, like you said. Yeah, and that's the thing. I mean, a lot of people may, uh, you know, if, if I was one of many other people, I might jump on a podcast and say, well, this is more than the NHL has ever done, so at least they're taking steps in the right direction. But on the other hand, it's like they should have taken these steps many years ago, and they should have sort of addressed this a long time ago. So for me, this first step is nothing to applaud. I'm not going to applaud them for finally taking that first step. I will applaud them when they finally become a lot more progressive and catch up to where they should be, uh, catch up to where the NBA is. And a lot of people are saying, well, the NBA is a different demographic. It's got different players and leadership, but that doesn't matter. In the year 2020, uh, I'm not going to give the NHL a, you know, a, a cop out for, you know, doing more than they've done in the past, which let's face it was nothing. Um, but rather I'm going to compare them to the NBA and I'm going to compare them to these other sports that are doing more. And that's the standard. That's, you know, even the NBA, if I was running an NBA podcast, I'd say maybe they should be doing a little bit more. And the NHL is levels below that. So it's nothing to applaud, but it's also nothing to bash. It's just something where let's see how it plays out. Every team has played one game. We've seen 12 exhibition games and that's it. Let's give it a week or two, you know, just to see if this is something that the NHL has completely dropped the ball on or not. But given the news of the Hockey Diversity Alliance and the conversations they've been having and how outspoken Evander Kane has been, which is awesome, by the way, because he is still a player. He's under a long-term deal. He's making $7 million a year. Even if he's not participating in this tournament, he is willing to put that all on the line. He's not a former player, a retired player. He's someone who's in the league right now and scores 30 goals a year. And he's willing to put that all on the line to speak out and to say that the NHL needs to do more. And that could be the difference. And that sounds like it's starting to become the difference. Yep. And I did want to point out, um, you know, while it wasn't the biggest spectacle or anything like that, and you don't really want to praise either team for doing anything amazing during that, um, you know, it was Gabe Landeskog was standing immediately next to those guys. And I know that was done on purpose by yep. him. You know, that's just the kind of guy he is. If he could, you know, if he could have been a guy with a hand on their shoulder as well, he probably would have done it, but he probably felt this is more of their thing. But I'm going to stand right next to him, and I thought that was pretty powerful and kind of went overlooked in that whole thing. Yeah, he's been very outspoken and very well-spoken about this uh about this uh, situation, these social issues since the NHL has returned for Phase 3 and even Phase 2 when we spoke to him. So he's definitely a player that doesn't not only wants to be on the right side of history, but he wants to be on the right side of history as somebody that spoke out when maybe it was a little bit harder for a white hockey player to speak out. Granted, you know, a European hockey player to speak out. So he wants to be on the right side of history. He's made that very clear and... You know, he's that's just his character. That's the guy he is, and I'm I'm very happy that he's the captain of the Colorado Avalanche. Once again, not just talking the talk, but walking the walk 100%, again. One hundred percent. Yep. Got a little bit derailed there, but back on track to uh, breaking down that one exhibition game we got. Also, walking the walk, I think, was the Avalanche goaltending. <clears throat> Big topic around the uh, around the Colorado Avalanche right now, and we got to look at both of our guys in uh, game action. Of course, Philip Grubauer ended up giving up three or two, excuse me, and Francis gave up zero. Um, 
little bit different games in each of them from each of them. Sorry, and uh, I I still think this is Grubauer's net to lose. I mean, they're giving him every opportunity, even though that he he gave up more goals. You heard Jared Benner talking about not necessarily making excuses, but just defending him and saying they were a little bit tougher plays. The defense kind of broke down in front of him. Francouz didn't necessarily get the most challenging of shots. So. Pretty much that we've gone nowhere in deciding who's the main guy here, but I still think that Jared Bednar is leaning a little bit towards the Philip Grubauer side and, and, and making it so that he blows it, not you know, not not necessarily that he's gonna win it, but he has to lose it first. Yeah, and that's kind of the point that I made last week when I said that you have to go with the proven commodity and right now that proven commodity is Philip Grubauer. He's the one that was on that long playoff run last year, the one that willed the avalanche to the playoffs. He's the one that has been on Washington Capitals teams where he's had great regular seasons um, and he's the guy that you have to start with. It's his position to lose. It's Francouz's position to win. Now what what Jared Bednar is going to do when he confirmed it again today during his media availability being today as in Friday, uh, he said that he is going to play both goalies during the round robin. So you got a game against St. Louis, Dallas, and Vegas. And one of those three games, most likely, Francis is going to start. And I'd, I'd, I'd guess that it's going to be that middle game against Dallas that Francis, that Francis will get that game. If he plays well, it depends on what Grubauer does. If Grubauer less than 10 goals in two games and goes 0-2 and just has terrible 8 45 safe percentage and Francis plays well yeah you're gonna want to look at Francis but if Grubauer just plays good enough even if Francis gets a shutout in that Dallas game the purpose of that Francis game is not to steal the position from Grubauer yet but it's to have that safe net of going into game one of the of the first round of the playoffs when those begin on the 11th of knowing that if Grubauer does shit the bed and if Grubauer does need to get pulled we have this guy back here who is very much willing and capable to play. And he proved that during the regular season. Grubauer, obviously, we forget this because it was such a long time ago. He got injured in the outdoor game on February 15th at the Air Force Academy. The NHL season didn't pause until March 11th. Every single game from February 15th to March 11th, which is a very busy time in the Avalanche schedule, Francis played every single game minus the one game that Michael Hutchinson played against the worst team in the league in Detroit. So Francis played a lot of hockey. He played good hockey and he won a lot of games. So this one round robin game for Francis is going to give Bednar that safety net of knowing that if Grubauer loses his position, it will be Francis's for the taking rather than taking it away from Grubauer. Uh, so I, I, I agree with that. I think Grubauer is going to be the starter to start, but whether he ends it or not is going to be completely up to him. I'm not sure I like the idea of both goalies splitting time in the round robin, to be 100% frank. I think now's the time when you need to settle on someone and go with them and ride with them, give him the confidence, give the team the belief that that's your guy that that's who we're riding with because these games mean something yeah the i i you know it kind of rubbed me wrong from the start when we first heard that he plans on doing that and he basically he's just outright telling us he doesn't have a plan he doesn't know who's going to be going yet and i think that leaves a, a lot of uncertainty and just a little bit of uneasiness with the team i don't know if it does that i mean the way that i that i see it is that 
Grubauer is his guy. He's going with Grubauer, and it's going to take a lot for him to not go with Grubauer, but at the same time, rewarding Fransuz with a game to basically say, hey, we know you're here. We know what you've given us all year, and we're going to give you one game to prove that you are capable. So let's put it this way. If this was the Toronto Maple Leafs, who kind of have a little bit of a goalie question mark going on right now, and you have your starting goalie in Frederick Anderson, and you have your very good backup goalie, keyword backup goalie, in uh, Campbell, Jack Campbell that they acquired from the LA Kings. If Frederick Anderson loses that starting position, that's a problem because Jack Campbell is a great backup goalie. Pavel Francouz is a 1A, 1B. It's UC Soros and Pekarine. It's Yaroslav Halak and Tuka Rask. So when you're giving that second goalie, I don't want to even call him a backup goalie, a game, it's more or less just saying, hey, we know that you're willing, you're capable, we see you, we know what you've done for us all year. Here's a game to prove that you could get your shot. And at this point for Francouz, it's a numbers game. The only reason why he's not starting is because someone else is there. It's just like Tyson Jost. Tyson Jost has been getting opportunity after opportunity, and he might not even be part of the starting 20 players when the Avalanche dropped the puck against the Blues on Sunday. But Bednar has played him in the penalty kill, has given him top nine minutes, has given him all this opportunity to say, hey, we know you're doing good, and here is, here, here is us showing that we see you, we respect it, we're appreciative of it, and here's an opportunity for you to prove that you can jump into the lineup. And I see it more like that. But I think Bednar knows, Grubauer knows, and I even think that uh, Francouz knows that this is going to be Grubauer's position to start with and probably for the entire playoffs, assuming things don't go off the rails. Yeah, I guess it's fair from Bednar's standpoint, especially since Francouz really earned it. I mean, we kind of saw the same thing last year when we saw the Varlamov and Grubauer transition. I mean, the whole season it was just kind of here. And, yeah, we're going to give Grubauer plenty of chances, and uh, but it's still Varlamov's net. And then slowly you saw it be not Varlamov's net, and Grubauer took over. And then there's only one guy still here in Colorado. So I think Bednar definitely knows what he's doing. Um, he definitely has the best best for the team in mind at all times so you know i i think we could definitely have confidence in that but i just i wish i think it would be, it'd be better but there's plenty of hockey to be played there's still very intense hockey to be played so i guess these three round robin games don't matter all that much and it's safe to give a guy like francis especially since like i said he's earned it but you'd like to have one guy just knowing that it's full steam ahead for me in my opinion it's just i don't know just me though yeah, and there's going to be a lot of hockey played. And as we saw from the scheduling in the play-in round, obviously since the Avalanche are in the round robin, they get a little bit of a a nice, smooth transition into the more intense playoff hockey starting August 11th. But as we saw from the as we see from the playoff play-in round and the scheduling for that, there's going to be a lot of back-to-backs. So Grubauer is going to play a lot of hockey, assuming he's the starter. We may even see an op- a time where teams are forced to use their second goalie because let's face it if the avalanche and let's say the vancouver canucks play games four and five back to back on a wednesday and a thursday and that wednesday game four ends up going to triple overtime and the avalanche win that game um you might have to go with a francis in game five and it's not because grubauer didn't play well he played really well but it's because hey we need to give you a break because we have Two more games coming up, game six, is, game six and seven, assuming it needs to get that far. And you just played 
you know, five or six periods of hockey less than 24 hours ago. So there's going to be these weird things that are going to happen in this year's playoffs that we've never seen before. So I don't think it's going to necessarily, you know, maybe it would have been better to play group hour. You know, it would be better to play group hour all three games, but I don't necessarily think it's going to give the team any uneasiness or make group hour feel like he's being uh, disrespected or make Francis feel like he's being given a shot to take the starting role in game one of the round robin. Rather, I think it's just a, you know, roll with the punches. Let's give everybody a little bit of playing time and let's get ready for what's going to be a pretty compacted and tense schedule. Well, that game against Minnesota, the Avalanche ended up pulling out the win. It wasn't exactly a pretty one, but I think that's kind of what sets this team above kind of the teams we've seen in the past is that they know how to get the job done. Um, even in games that are tight, even in games that the other team might be getting some momentum back, the Avs have, have figured out this season how to kind of put that lid on it and finish out the game, where I feel like in years past they would have maybe let it slip away and let the other team come back or just you know, never be really in control of the game at all. So I feel like they've gotten a lot better at controlling the games and making sure they close them out, and I think that's going to be a huge skill come you know these playoff times because teams are going to be fighting, and they're going to be fighting to the death, and they're going to be fighting hard. Because not nobody wants to go home. So if if the Avalanche can control those games and really manhandle them and make sure they close them out the way they need to and just get that job done, I think that's another great sign for all of us Avs fans heading into this COVID Cup. Yeah, I mean you need to win ugly to win a Stanley Cup. You're not going to win pretty every single game, and uh, the preseason game was a nice or the exhibition game was a nice preview of what's to come in terms of this team just being so dominant offensively and so stacked and full of all this depth on the blue line and goal and goal and goal and on uh, uh, up front that even when they're not playing their best hockey even when they're taking eight penalties they still managed to pull out a victory in a game where they did not trail at any point so looking ahead at the round robin it's about that time i guess and all we really have to go off is the exhibition games that we've seen at least that's what we're going to do here is kind of compare what we've seen from each of the round robin teams the avalanche are about to face and kind of what we've seen from the avalanche so i guess starting with st louis since that's who the avalanche have first here on sunday what we saw from them was pretty disappointing if you if you're from the blues organization i mean you did not expect them to come out and kind of get beat down the way they did against what's supposed to be a weaker team in chicago yeah there was not many shots in that game they were outshot 23 to 21 and the blackhawks I'm not going to lie. They look pretty good, and that's going to be a much closer series, I think. If Corey Crawford plays, assuming he stays healthy, uh, that's going to be a much closer series against the Oilers than a lot of people probably think it will be. And uh, the Blues didn't look so well. I watched I watched parts of that game. I watched enough to see that they were shaking off the cobwebs. And, you know, it's not something where I'm going to say because of that they're going to blow it through the round robin and possibly get upset in the first round. But... It makes you feel a lot better about that game on Sunday, knowing that the Avalanche are coming in sort of with a lot more motivation and looking a lot better than the Blues did in their one game, and they got shut out. Like, it, it wasn't even close. They didn't have many good chances at all. Yeah, I would say it's kind of like uh, the Blues are on their heels and the Avs are on their toes coming into that game, yep, right? exactly, so, yeah. Um, yeah, you got to be feeling pretty good from an Avalanche standpoint. Then looking ahead to... Dallas they had us they got shut out against mm -hmm. Nashville so again you're not feeling too scared about about either of these two first round robin games in my opinion yeah uh, 
I don't know what happened to the Stars. I didn't I didn't get to catch parts of that game, but it was also a low shooting game. It was only 27 to 25 for Nashville. Um, but the reality is Nashville played both their goalies and both of them held the fort down. Dallas has kind of been that team that not many people are talking about in terms of the one that could come out. I personally don't see it. I don't think they have the firepower for it. They have Ben and Sagan. They have Joe Pavelski. Granted, he had a terrible season uh, for his standards. But I just don't see it. I don't see the offensive power uh, needed for them to sort of make it through the Western Conference. And I hope I'm you know, completely correct on that. And I hope I'm not proven wrong. Uh, but they have great defense and they have great goaltending. And they proved that, holding Nashville to only two goals. But you kind of got to put the puck in the net to win a game. And they were unable to do that. Yeah, that's their hope is their goaltending. And that's, I think, the biggest worry for the Colorado Avalanche, too. In my opinion, when they come across a hot goaltender or somebody who's just feeling themselves, they really tend to struggle. And, you know, they put a lot of pucks on the net, the Avs do. So when it, when it, a goalie's seeing them and he's tracking them and he's following those across, the Avs tend to get a bit snake-bitten and kind of get in their own heads, it feels like. So you'd hate to see uh, Ben Bishop have a, a strong game against Colorado and that's the sole reason they win because otherwise I think the Avalanche have the leg up on the Stars for sure. Yeah and I mean that sort of speaks uh, to the to Dallas and their offense. Tyler Sagan didn't play in that game. That's one of their two big offensive weapons and it's actually their biggest offensive weapon. So if the Avalanche miss a McKinnon or a Rantanen or a Kadri for a game it's not ideal, but you still have the confidence in them being able to score a lot of goals. Uh, Sagan missing one game, they put up a goose egg. So it just speaks to the importance of having their high-powered offensive guys, what little players they have that provide that kind of style of play uh, in the lineup. Because when they're not there, Dallas's offense sort of crumbles, and that's kind of the biggest issue that I see with that team and why I think the Avalanche can definitely beat them when they play next week they've got some hope i think um like i said the goaltending is a big key for them but i also just think they're a different team than we saw at the start of the regular season i mean as much as it sucks to see a guy like jim montgomery fired around here in colorado that's who it sucks for um you know i think that coaching change honestly was really good for them and and really kind of made them wake up and maybe just utilize their skill a little bit more in their favor. But moving on, it's Vegas Golden Knights versus Arizona, the only other team in the round robin um, that actually won their exhibition game, and that was Vegas against Arizona. Now, I don't know how you feel about Arizona. We'll get into that in a little bit. But considering it's not exactly one of the strongest teams, I think Vegas kind of struggled with them. Yeah, they <coughs> beat them, and ultimately the score looked a lot higher than – or a lot – more more of a beatdown than it actually was. The game was actually a lot closer, but I think for a team to kind of play back and forth with a team like Arizona just, again, doesn't give me much worry for the Golden Knights. Yeah, so the only thing that I'll say about the Golden Knights is of the four teams in the round robin, and I'm clumping the Avalanche in there with them, they're the wild card. Dallas, we know in the beginning of the season, started off slow, they started to pick it up. The Jim Montgomery thing happened. He was replaced, and they continued, and they just sort of stayed on their way, ho-hum, winning games, and you know, making their way into the top four in the West. St. Louis is St. Louis. Colorado has provided the same you know, style of play and has played the same way. You know, Aside from a Nemesnikov acquisition, their team has stayed relatively the same, even with all the injuries. Ari uh, not Arizona, but Vegas is the wild card to me because 
they went through quite a bit of a roller coaster this year. They started off the year expecting to be this high-powered offense, this uh, great team that's going to run the Pacific Division and possibly the Western Conference. It didn't happen. Mark Stone has had a hell of a year. Marc-Andre Fleury did not have that good of a year. As the season went on, they eventually fired Gerard Gallant, which caught a lot of people by surprise. They bought in Pete DeBoer, which caught way more people by surprise considering the rivalry they had with San Jose last year and DeBoer being the former Sharks coach that was also fired this season. They bought in DeBoer. They started to win a lot of games. Their lines started to sort of click uh, right before the pause. They bought in Robin Leonard to help out Marc-Andre Fleury. And now they're this team that's become well-rounded and looks a lot different than the team that the Avalanche were scoring seven goals on uh, earlier in the season. So Dallas, it's it's easy to sort of break down what you're going to expect from them. St. Louis, it's easy to break that down. Vegas, you have no idea because they are just a wild card. They're different. They could, they could completely run the table on the Western Conference and, and beat everyone, including the Avalanche. And it wouldn't surprise me. And they can also go 0-3 in the round robin and get upset in the first round, and it wouldn't surprise me. So I'm intrigued by this Golden Knights team for that reason. And I think that that game before the round robin comes to an end is going to be a big one because I think these are going to be the two teams fighting for that number one seed when they play next weekend. It's wild to say this considering it's only their third year in the league, but yeah. they've got a lot of playoff experience in that yeah. locker room so they do they they have a player like max pasuretti who's been itching to to go on these long playoff runs since his time in montreal paul stastny's there that's a big veteran presence and then they got mark stone the future captain of the team in my opinion they have that carlson smith and uh f- who's the third guy marchesol line that's been just killing it for two years alex alex tuck on the third line they just they have all this depth and it's just crazy to think that they were an expansion team that made it to the Stanley Cup final in the first year. And since that year, they've lost like 90% of their forwards and their coach. And they're still right there. And that's the part that's mind-boggling to me. Well, considering we've had a good chunk of time, and it's a small sample size at that, but we've gotten to see what this Hub City hockey is going to look like. So with that considered and the round robin ahead what are you kind of expecting to see from the avalanche what are some pros and cons to this style of hockey for colorado heading into the round robin and i'll start just to give you some time to think um for one like we mentioned at the top i think the biggest con is going to be the penalties if the refs are calling the games as tight as this and you know they have i i don't know if it's the crowd noise or maybe it's just the the rustiness coming out of the players, but that I just think it's tough on the NHL and on the game of hockey itself to have that many penalties being called. Hopefully they learn to swallow their whistles a little bit more, but if they don't, it's going to be a real tough road for the Avalanche. I mean, they, they uh, aren't disciplined enough to be able to stay out of the box, and when they do get in the box, I think they put themselves into big trouble. So that's got to be a huge focus like it was back in the fall for the Avalanche. Um, and then a pro for me, though, I think that the emotions are going to be able to stay in check from what we've seen. I mean, obviously, there's no crowd to get, you know, s- to sway anybody one way or the other. Um, there's just a lot less energy in the building for people to kind of let their emotions get away from them, I think. And from, from a team like Colorado, especially who's led by guys like Nathan McKinnon and Nazem Kadri, those emotions are going to play a big factor. And if they can keep them in check, that's going to be huge. Yeah, and to sort of piggyback on what you just said, in regards to the penalties, uh, 
I have confidence in the referees to know that they call playoff hockey a certain type of way and they are going to call it that way. Uh, I don't think the exhibition games in, in their minds was playoff hockey. It was nothing but an exhibition game. So that mindset will probably change with the round robin and more so on August 11 when the first round of the real playoffs begins. Uh, in terms of my pros and cons, a pro I think is going to be the Avalanche being healthy and being able to score a lot of goals. There was not a lot of goals in the NHL uh, during these exhibition games. Only one game actually had a combined six goals, and that was the first game. That was Toronto beating Montreal 4-2. to two. Every other game since then has had five or less goals. That is a pro for the Avalanche because they have the high-powered offense to go out there and score a bunch of goals, just like Tampa Bay, just like Boston, and I think they're going to. In regards to cons, I'd say there's two. The first one is... You don't want to get lost in the moment. You have three guaranteed games before you get into the first round of the playoffs. But the reality is, if you go on a stretch of seven, eight, nine games where you're not playing so well and you go two and seven or three and six or whatever it may be, your season's over. And by the time August 18 or August 19 comes around, the Avalanche might already be back in Denver and done. So I would say one of the cons is making sure that you're not getting lost in the moment because if you do, things are going to turn really, really quickly on you and you're not going to realize how fast your season comes to the end, comes to an end. Um, but I don't necessarily think that's going to happen because my second con is not for the Avalanche, but it's for fans here in Colorado that don't get to experience this playoff run live because this team is going to do something special this year. Uh, I said it on Mile High Sports today. I was on a radio show with Nate Lundy, and uh, he asked me if I think the Avalanche are going to be the same contender that they were expected to be in February. And I said yes, because while a lot of teams are focusing on the intricacies of what it of, of what comes with playing in a hub city in an empty arena with a virus and all these things, the Avalanche seem to be one of the only teams in the NHL that have been unfazed. Their goal has remained to win a Stanley Cup. They're not sitting here talking about a COVID Cup or a hub city or, you know, all these hurdles that have jumped in the way their focus is still on the finish line their focus is on you know being a first seed and they can do that through the round robin and on winning the stanley cup and it's that nathan mckinnon comparison to Kawhi leonard i made last week it's it's they they just want to win hockey games and that's why uh the biggest con of this playoff run is not going to be for the avalanche but it's going to be for the fans and the media here in denver that don't get no witness don't get to witness it live at the pepsi center yeah, I like that. I mean, it's definitely a, a much different thing going on this year. And, I mean, six of the 12 forwards that are on this Avalanche roster weren't on last year's roster, you know. But and they're they, big names. Yeah, they're big names, and they have a lot of experience either way. You know, they've got a lot of playoff experience, and they want to get this do done too. I mean, you look like at guys like Donskoy, who's on notorious San Jose Sharks that fall flat on their face, Toronto Maple Leafs, Nazem Kadri, notoriously – you know, ending their years short, getting beat by Boston all the time, even when they have great teams. You know, Nemestikov coming at once from Tampa Bay, who's always fallen short. So, you know, these guys still have a lot to prove. So I kind of wanted to get into what you think, since it's exactly half of the forwards. Who do you think faces more pressure, those six new guys or the six guys who remained? Who do you think has more weight on their shoulders to get this done? 
I think it's going to be the six new guys, and I think they're going to handle that pressure, and they're going to succeed, and they're going to they're going to provide provide the Avalanche with what they want, because the six guys that were here, and that's your top line, that's your Nieto, that's your Calvert, uh, and I'm missing one more. That's your Comfer. Um, those six guys took San Jose to Game Seven of the second round, and it took an, a very funky offside call uh, to ruin that series. They beat the number one seed Calgary Flames in a five-game series after losing game one and getting shut out for that matter. Uh, They were the number eight seed that almost made it all the way. They were the number eight seed that, had they won that game seven against San Jose, could have really given St. Louis a run for their money. So these six guys have done it. The other six guys, while they have had success with their other teams, the pressure has, this entire season has been about the depth, the depth, the depth. All these new guys that come in and provide with for you depth. So these new guys need to go out there and prove that they can be the depth. And I, I have full confidence that they will. Um, you know, going through those names, Belmar. Belmar has been in a Stanley Cup final with the Vegas Golden Knights, and he's become the perfect fourth line center. Vladislav Nemestikov played in the Stanley Cup Final in 2015 with Tampa Bay. Giannis Donskoy played in the Stanley Cup Final in 2016. Burakovsky played in the Stanley Cup Final in 2018. And then you have Kadri and Nichushkin who have playoff experience but have never been to a final but are two important pieces and both playing in your top six. So I'd say the pressure is more so on them than it is on the old guys because the older guys are guys that have proven that they can play well in the playoffs here. Uh, They just need some reinforcements, and here comes the reinforcements to provide them with that extra depth. I feel the other way around, honestly. I think the core and the the guys who have been here, those guys are feeling the pressure, and I think the new guys are just going to be more of a just sit back and watch us. This is how playoff hockey's done. Um, So, you know, hopefully it meshes into one big synergy of winning, but, um, you know, I I think the guys who have been here and have – failed time and time again are, are feeling more of the pressure in my opinion but hey that's just me um either way it's gonna be fun to watch and either way this team's great and either way it's time for us to get into betting Arif. we've been waiting for Let's this go. for a while but first i gotta tell you about DraftKings and the nba the final 22 teams have made their way down to orlando and are ready to get back on the court they actually already are today was the first day while the ending of the, the, this year's basketball season will be different than years past, there will be no shortage of excitement, and there's no better place to get in on all the action than with DraftKings, the top-rated sportsbook app. To celebrate the return of basketball, DraftKings Sportsbook is giving all users a special odds boost for the first three days of the season. Bet $20 to win $100 on any game and any team of your choosing taking advantage of these slam dunk offers is easy all you got to do is sign up and navigate to the promotions tab within the app don't stress if you weren't able to get your bets in before tip off DraftKings has you covered with live betting on all games and if basketball isn't your game DraftKings offers great odds and promotions on all sports ranging from MMA to baseball DraftKings Sportsbook is U.S.-based, making it safe, secure, and reliable. Plus, it's easy to deposit and withdraw your funds whenever you want. And I can attest to that I actually took that 20 to 100 odds boost today. I love DraftKings odds boost. So download the top-rated DraftKings Sportsbook app and use code MHS when you sign up for a limited time. All users can get a special odds boost to bet $20 to win 100 on a team of your choosing. That's code MHS and boost your odds to 20 to 100 only at DraftKings. So of course if you do the DraftKings promo code you get help with the deposit and then you can do the odds boost and just make your $20 bet which I was going to win $15 on into 100. 
So you must be 21 or older, Colorado only. Other terms and conditions and eligibility restrictions apply. See DraftKings.com sportsbook for details. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-522-4700. And I kind of mentioned this a little bit earlier, but all the games earlier this week, all the exhibition games were six or less goals. Every single one of them hit the under on the over-under. So that's something to keep in mind going into Saturday's hockey action is, are we going to see a lot of goals or are we going to see some more tight-checking, low-scoring games? Because if we are, it's time to hammer that under because it's probably going to be set at five and a half. Yeah, it's funny to think you and I were kind of talking about that in a couple podcasts ago. Is it, Are we going to see a great kind of hockey or are we going to kind of see them ease back into it in kind of a slow style? And it's crazy that every single one of them Literally every hit one. the under. I mean, usually the over-under on a hockey game is five and a half, and every single one was pretty much at five or under, and that's pretty nuts. And again, I got to talk about those odds boosts just because how awesome they are. I mean, that's the f- my favorite part about DraftKings. I took $20 on a basketball game that is probably a, an easy decision, the Clippers versus I don't even know who tomorrow. And if I would have put $20 on that game normally, I would have only won 15 back walking away with 35 Well, this odds boost has me putting $20 down and winning 100 That's just amazing. They're giving you free money, and, and, it's, and I love DraftKings. So that's why I wanted to spend a little bit of time here picking our own bets. Let's see if we can win our listeners some money i mean we owe them for spending as much time as they do with our (laughs) silly goofy asses so my pick of the weekend was going to be the winnipeg jets over the calgary flames and i know that's kind of a an underdog pick which is why i like it but i think the winnipeg jets have what it takes to beat the flames i think the flames are on the downswing right now they're in their own heads after what happened last season and plus the winnipeg jets to beat Calgary on Saturday is a plus 115, so that's my lock of the weekend. You got one for us? Yeah, I agree with yours because uh, the, the Winnipeg Connor Hellebucks are going to beat the Calgary Flames, and I think that that's a very safe bet. Uh, I'm going to go with a very completely off-the-board pick, and I'm going to say on Sunday the Colorado Avalanche are going to beat the St. Louis Blues. Yep. That's exactly what I said, and it's going to be completely off the board. It's random. It has nothing to do with our Mile High uh, Sports Hockey Mountain High podcast. Uh, Ha, ha, ha. I'm joking. The Avalanche look good right now. They're healthy. They're ready to go, and they had a great training camp and a good preseason preseason game. The St. Louis Blues got shut out by the Chicago Blackhawks. They're the Stanley Cup champions of, uh, of a year ago. They're defending the Cup. They don't have as much to prove. Just like you said, the Avalanche are probably going to be on their toes and the Blues on their heels. If the Avalanche score that first goal, they're going to run away with this game. I don't know what's going to happen in the playoffs. I don't know what's going to happen the rest of the round, Robin, but I'm confident in saying the Avs will beat the Blues on Sunday. And here's a nice little prop bet for you, too, that you can search within DraftKings. Nathan McKinnon to score a goal is plus 163 those are great odds and you know sounds good to me the chances of nathan mckinnon scoring a goal are pretty high so i would definitely love to put money on that one too and of course i was gonna initially all week long when i was thinking about this segment i was gonna do the layup easy pick but then as i watched the odds slowly shift into making it not so good of a pick um, i was gonna pick the penguins to win the series over the rangers that's just a slam dunk i caught it i bought put Got it, my One money halves, into mean. DraftKings while it was still a minus 170. So I got decent odds out of it. But now That's it's like, bad. yeah, now it's like at a pl- minus 220. So 
take it. It's a slam dunk bet, but you're not going to win too much money off of it. But yeah, I, I like that little segment. I just wanted to get into some bets, um, take them with us, talk about them with us. Let's see how we do. Um, but yeah, I like that McKinnon to score plus 163. What's up? Put down $100. They'll give you 163 back. Walking away with 263. I love it. Love DraftKings. Yeah, uh, that seems like an easy bet to me. My favorite prop bet for games like that, and especially when you have one team that you expect to be on their toes, is the first goal prop. And that's one to take into account. The Avalanche, I don't remember the numbers now, but I was tweeting this every friggin' game back in February and March. The Avalanche have scored the first goal of the game more times than any other team in the league and it wasn't even close i think tampa bay was a couple goals a couple games behind and then like third place was way behind the avalanche and the lightning so that first goal prop is a big one and it's one that you can probably win a lot of money on if you take the, the avalanche for that pretty much every game yeah and if i'm not mistaken the avalanche score more first period goals than anyone in the nhl and yep. most second period goals more than anyone in, in the NHL. So I believe so, yep. Something to consider while we're all trying to make some money watching these games from our couches. Moving on to kind of the last portion of our show here before we wrap it up, and that's some previews and predictions. We're not going to get too heavy into it because I know everybody with a podcast or a live radio show has already given you their two cents on what they think is going to happen, so we're going to lightly skim over this. And luckily for us, Eric and I went over our – picks before the show and we pretty much agree on everything so we won't spend too much time digging into them but Arif break it down for us we're going to start off in the east looking at the play-in games between the Penguins and the Montreal Canadiens we already kind of touched on it with the DraftKings segment so that's why I started us off with the easy one yeah I'll say Penguins in four and I only say in four because I think after winning games one and two by a wide margin, Montreal's going to come out in game three and Carey Price is going to steal a game and then Pittsburgh's going to put it away in four. That's an easy bet, easy take, and uh, I have no doubt that Pittsburgh will make it to the next round. I've actually got Pittsburgh in three. I just think Canadians were supposed to be sellers. They weren't supposed to be in the playoffs. They and did. Just, they sold four guys. <laughs> they're just not built to be a winning team. So yeah. I see the Penguins smoking them and taking it away with the sweep. Moving on to the New York Rangers and Carolina Hurricanes. I like this matchup. This is probably one of the more intriguing matchups yeah. of the play-in round. Yeah, so the Carolina Hurricanes were one of the two teams that voted no on the return-to-play plan, if you if you remember way back. Uh, and the reason why was because they were going to be matched up against the Rangers, who in three games or maybe four games this year beat them every single time. I still am going to take Carolina, though. I they're they're a stacked team. They're getting Dougie Hamilton back, not tomorrow, but later on in the series. So he won't play in game one. I'm gonna take the Carolina Hurricanes in five games. If anything is gonna lose the series for the Hurricanes, it's their question mark and goal between James Reimer and, and Peter Morazic. But I think Morazic can hold the fort down uh, and beat that three-headed monster and goal for the Rangers and, and take down Panarin and, and Zabanajad. Um, so give me the Hurricanes in five. It's funny how the Avalanche social media team and call, or Carolina Hurricane social media team are yeah. so friendly because yeah. there are a lot of parallels, I think, to these two teams. And a lot like the Avalanche, Carolina is in the process of taking that next step forward. I mean, yeah. last year they took a big step by winning their first ever playoff series, knocking out the Capitals. Well, this year they're looking to grow on it. I think they've gotten better since last year. And every once in a while their goaltending shows up and does something you just never expected them something spectacular so you can count on them doing that at least once i would say in this round and while yes the rangers were one of the hottest teams at the pause i just still don't think they have what it takes to to get into the 
the actual playoffs and with a goaltending controversy like theirs, I think it's huge and it plays a factor in the locker room and in the heads of the players. So I'm with you. I'm taking Carolina on that. Moving on, Islanders versus the Florida Panthers. The Florida this Panthers look going to be a snoozer. Yeah, this <laughs> one's going to be a very, very boring series. And I say that because while Florida has a lot of offensive firepower, Barry Trotz and the Islanders are going to choke it right out of them. Florida did not look good in their preseason game. They've been sort of looking terrible all season long. Bobrovsky doesn't look too good. Give me the Islanders in four in a series that's probably going to have a combined four goals of like one nothing games or something. Yeah, and watching that exhibition game between the Panthers and the Lightning, it felt like I was watching, you know, when there's a one men's league team that's playing in a division that they shouldn't be in and the other men's league team is just bad. And it, it just wasn't interesting. It wasn't competitive and one team just had their way. You really felt bad for the Panthers considering they're supposed to be firing up and gearing up for playoff hockey. Moving on to the last playing round of the East, and that is the Maple Leafs versus the this Columbus Blue Jackets. This is going to be fun. This is the one series, this is the one team that Toronto did not want to face in the playoffs. And, you know, that's that's something that I was thinking of way back from before this pause even happened, when it was just a regular playoffs. It was, hey, if Columbus squeaks in and you're Toronto, you want to hope that you don't end up playing them. And it's going to be a hard-fought series, but I'm going to go with the skill. And maybe I'll regret this, but I'm going to say Toronto in five. But if Columbus comes out and steals the series, it wouldn't surprise me. They do have a Jack Adams nominee of a coach behind the bench and a hell of a hard-working team. But Toronto's just got way too much firepower. Don't let me down, Maple Leafs. I'm going to say Toronto in five. Toronto's the type of team that can go deep or choke it all right away so yep it's gonna be fun to watch how that one plays out but yep with you i think toronto walks away with that one and then lastly for the round robin that goes on in the east just simply rank them for me one two three and four between the flyers bruins capitals and lightning i think the lightning will finish first the bruins second the flyers third and the capitals fourth interesting on the capitals pick fourth and and especially considering the year that the flyers have had nothing amazing but they definitely were surging a little bit there at the end yeah i just think that teams like tampa bay and boston are going to be very very strong in the round robin and really want to make sure that they keep a hold of that top seed unfortunately for boston they were running away with the top seed in the entire nhl but you know this format isn't a winner for anybody and i think it's going to be a loser for them because tampa's going to take that top spot Moving on to the West, this is where we kind of got to pay a little bit more attention. I think we've done a little bit more of our homework, and everybody's going to be watching these games a lot closer, starting with the 5-12. There's always a 5-12 upset, at least in March Madness, Arif, and that's with Edmonton Oilers and the Chicago Blackhawks. I want to say it, but I can't do it. I'm going to say Edmonton in five, and it's going to be a much closer series than a lot of people think. McDavid and Dreisaitl going up against the old guard of Taves and Kane. It's going to be a lot of fun to watch. Give me the Oilers in five. They're saying that Connor McDavid feels snubbed. He feels disrespected. Do you do yep. you agree with that, or do you think he's just putting his head down and just being his old self? I don't think he feels snubbed. I don't think he's going to be the kind of guy that's going to sit there and be salty that his teammate is uh, up for the heart, and he's not. Uh I just think that he's Connor McDavid and he's on a redemption and he's been on a redemption since the season started, uh, since coming back from that injury, working through the summer like a friggin' animal to be healthy at game one and back in October. And uh, I think he's going to make it through the series to score a lot of goals. 
Here is, in my opinion, the least intriguing series of the Western <laughs> Conference, and that's the Nashville Predators yep. versus the Arizona Coyotes. Just two guys who've struggled throughout the regular season and, and never really gave you a moment of saying, wow, this team's really impressive. Yeah. And for the first time in my predictions, I'm going to take the lower seed. I'm going to go Arizona over Nashville in four. The Predators won their preseason, their exhibition game, I know, and the Coyotes lost theirs also, I know, but... Nashville sucked this year, man. Mm -hmm. Their power play was terrible. Roman Yossi was their top scorer. He's a great defenseman, but, you know, uh, Ryan Johansson's not playing that well. Matt Duchesne was not playing that well. These guys have all sort of taken a step back, and for some reason, they hired John Hines. I don't know what that move was all about. Their possession numbers that made them such a good team back when they had P.K. Subban have all sort of dwindled down and, you know, are some of the worst in the league and i just think the coyotes even though they're not the best team they have two really great goalies in anti ranta and darcy kemper darcy kemper and uh, they have firepower and phil kessel and taylor hall and i think they take this in four yeah you gotta think the avalanche are hoping to get the winner out of that one depends on you know they might have to choke a little bit in the round robin but that's just gonna be a snail's race just i think two teams full of underwhelming players that constantly are underachieving Moving on, Vancouver versus Minnesota. Again, I don't think this one's uh, a particularly exciting matchup between two good teams. Yeah, so I'm going to take Vancouver for this. I know Minnesota sort of finished off strong at the end of the regular season, uh, but Vancouver's been a fun team all season. Brock Besser has been fun to watch. Elias Pettersson and Quinn Hughes obviously have been fun to watch. Tyler Toffoli fit right in, and uh, Markstrom and goal has been has been sort of a revelation this year and one of the better goalies in the NHL. So I'm going to take Vancouver in four. Uh, I'm going to give Minnesota one game just because. Poor guys. With you there. Uh, moving on, lastly, in the play-in games, and that's the Calgary Flames versus the Winnipeg Jets, the 9-8 matchup. And for the second time out of these eight playing rounds, I'm going to take the lower seed. I'm going to go Winnipeg in three. They're just I not think. as bad as they were all regular They're season. They're not. They, they, they had a hell of a regular, you know, they had a hell of a regular season in goal. And it's not necessarily that I think that Winnipeg is going to win the series as much as I think that the beginning of the end of this Calgary core is about to happen. Uh, they had a bunch of storylines out of training camp of Johnny Goudreau coming in out of shape and all this stuff where... You know, whether it's right or whether it's true or not is not my concern. My concern is sort of the fact that there's just a lot going on over there. Uh, they're stressed. They're under a lot of pressure. Um, and I don't think they're going to have their heads in the game. And I think that the Winnipeg Jets are going to sweep them in three. And then you're going to see a big trade coming this summer from the Calgary Flames. How big are we talking? One of those two big ones, the Monahans or the Goudreaux. That'd be exciting stuff. And then just like we did with the East, give me your one, two, three, four ranked between the Avalanche, the Blues, the Golden Knights, and the Dallas Stars. I'm going to go Colorado, Vegas, St. Louis, Dallas. Interesting, but I'm with you. I think the Blues have a little bit better round robin than Vegas, but I, 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 like, I like everything else you said. I'm with you on 100% on all of that. Anything else you want to throw in on... The games that we're about to see this coming weekend, I hope everybody enjoys them. Same here. Uh, hockey's back, man. And it's 9.40 p.m. Mountain Time on Friday, July 31st. Right now, the first game's puck drop is in exactly 12 hours and 20 minutes, and that's exciting. I'm so pumped. Yep. Can't wait. So let's hurry up and get out of here, finish off this podcast. Once again, running longer than we anticipated. But, hey, <laughs> I love it. That just means we got things to talk about. So why not? Hockey on, right? 
That brings us to our social media moment of the week, and I'm Love giving it. that to, I don't know, who, who technically gets this one. It's when we saw Nathan McKinnon show his new Gucci flip-flop, and we talked last week about how they're going to be swagging out and bringing their styles to the hub cities and bringing their Burberries and Louis Vuitton and their Gucci, and sure enough, Nazem Kadri goes out and buys the entire team some slick suede Gucci flip-flops with individualized Customized. custom numbers. Yep. In the Avalanche font, too, which was such a sick touch. I love, I want me a pair. Yeah, those things look beautiful. And, uh, you know, I grew up around a big Lebanese community. And knowing Nazem Kadri and him being part of the Lebanese community, I just got to say, it doesn't surprise me that he went out and bought 30 pairs of Gucci slippers because they love their Gucci. And, and uh, you know, I don't make stereotypes. I see them. <laughs> and that's one that I saw on Instagram, and it made me laugh. Yeah, and I just can't get over how sick they were. I mean, everybody – I haven't seen that style of Gucci flip-flop, honestly, but maybe I'm just not in that elite tier of money-making people yeah. to, to have my finger on the pulse. Of yeah, me. they don't sell them on Amazon, so they're, yeah. out, of my, they're out of my range. <laughs> and that brings us to our Mile High Sports 3 Stars of the Week brought to you by DraftKings Sportsbook, America's top-rated sportsbook app. And that goes – to number three star number three goes to i got ahead of myself i'm giving it to ra of spit and chicklets now in my personal opinion especially considering i host a podcast as well i don't necessarily like him as a podcaster but the fact that he he po he pointed out he didn't call anything but he pointed out that all of these exhibition games were hitting the under five and a half goals it helped me out i know it helped you out so, you know, he's got a good eye for betting. So for once, I'm going to tip my cap to R.A. Yeah, that was really interesting to see him on the first day say three for three on the under, then then six for six, then nine for nine. And then I look at the games yesterday and it was 10 and 11. And then I said, hey, why not? Let's let's take the under on game number 12 and the under hit. And uh, yeah, that's why half of this podcast I've been mentioning that all 12 games were low scoring is because of those tweets. So, you know. Tip of the hat to RA for catching that and for, you know, probably making some people a lot of money. Yeah, they're making their listeners money just like us. Hopefully people hop on our bets too. Star number two, I'm giving it to Jonas Donskoy, and that's for kicking the Avs off early with this scoring and letting Avs fans get a taste of what they've been missing, and that's a goal. A minute 25 into the game, Jonas Donskoy knocks one in, and you just love to see it. Yeah, and I mean, for him personally, he had five points, I want to say, in the last, let's say, 25 games of the regular season that happened 17 years ago. So it's good to see him start off a little bit hot because he needs it. He needs that extra little bit of confidence going into the playoffs. And he was a great playoff performer for San Jose last year. He scored in that game seven against the Avs. And stick taps to Giannis Donskoy. He got one in the exhibition and hopefully for many more in the playoffs. And forgive me for being lame and unoriginal, but star number one. Who we going with? Nathan Mafrickin' Kinnon. And again, <laughs> because forgiven Avs fans exactly what they wanted. He came Just out game a one. Just McKinnon goal. Exactly. Such a McKinnon goal. Exactly. Just buried it 100 miles per hour. And it's crazy. You know, Mark Rycroft made the point um, during the intermission. He made six crossovers during that entire rush and he was flying if i make six crossovers i'm making more crossovers to probably catch my balance so the fact that he got so fast on such little i guess what is it torque or push i don't know yeah 
Whatever. That's that's Nathan McKinnon for you. He's been doing it since his rookie year, and that was very reminiscent to his first career playoff goal against, surprised, those same Minnesota Wild uh, when he broke a couple ankles for Jared Spurgeon. Um, but what a goal. Typical McKinnon, like I said, man, they're just focused on doing what they do best, and McKinnon did exactly that early on in the first game back, and, and uh, we're hoping to see more of that. It's a very easy choice, but it's also the right choice to be our first star this week. Right. Last thing you want is for him to go into this whole thing snake-bitten, and there's a good chance the Avalanche end up 0-3 in the round robin if that was the case, and that's probably the second to last thing you want to happen. So him scoring a goal, getting that off his chest, giving us what we wanted, and more importantly, just putting him back in the mindset that, yep, I'm a goal scorer and I'm here to make plays, and that's what I do. I think that just does a lot for the Avalanche and a lot for his confidence. But other than that, that's the three stars of the week. Anything you want to throw out there before we get out of here? We are going to come back following the game on Sunday. We'll probably hit you on Monday with this. And that's exactly what I was going to say. So this is going to be our last hour-plus-long podcast in quite a while because we're going to start dishing these out uh, after every game during the round robin for sure, and then we'll see how the first-round scheduling looks. If we have back-to-backs, we'll, we'll wait for two games to go through. But expect to see two or three of these a week. Uh, thank you again to all our listeners who have been downloading. Please subscribe, rate, comment. Leave those comments on iTunes and on your favorite podcatcher apps. Uh, let us Hit us up on Twitter. Let us know what we should change, what we should do better. Uh, we want to be, like I've said before, your go-to Avalanche podcast, and that's why we went ahead and changed the name and changed the logo. Hockey Mountain High. It just rings off the tongue. It just rolls off the tongue. Your go-to Avalanche podcast. So we'll be back on Monday. Uh, to give you something that's a little bit shorter. Um, But for now, we hope you guys enjoy another 70-plus minute long podcast with our beautiful faces. With that being said, if you made it this far into the podcast, bless your freaking heart. And other than that, for Arif, I'm JJ. Hockey is for everyone, and we out you.